Hi listeners, it's Carter, here to tell you about an incredible event celebrating the launch of ParCast's first book, Cults. On July 13th, crime junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler are coming together for a night of true crime to remember. And you can be part of it virtually on Spotify Live or in person. The evening will take place in Los Angeles and feature discussions about the book, a live Q&A, and so much more. All ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley Flowers that provides financial resources to help solve cold cases and support families impacted by unsolved violent crimes. It's a wonderful cause and an evening perfect for any true crime fan. But time is running out. Register for your spot today at parcast.com slash cults. All attendees will receive a special signed copy of Parcast's new book, Cults. So don't wait. Sign up at parcast.com slash cults. In 2011, at Tel Aviv's Saraski Medical Center, a group of individuals were asked to watch a short documentary as part of a cognition study on memory. One week after they saw the movie, they returned for another test. They had to climb inside an advanced MRI machine, then answer questions about the film's plot. One participant, who we'll call Chaya, got to see four people's answers before she gave her own. The researchers wanted to see how the group's opinions might alter Chaya's responses. She was surprised how the other study participants got basic facts wrong. One question might ask, what did the policeman in the film do? To which there would be two possible answers. Arrest a man or arrest a child. Based on the study's results, the following scenario, while speculative, was not uncommon. As Chaya prepared to give her answer, she was confident the police had arrested a child. She distinctly remembered that scene. But the four other participants all said it was a man. When Chaya took her test, she second-guessed her memories. Had she misunderstood the film? Was she confused? Ultimately, she let the group sway her answers. She agreed with the others and said the officer had arrested a man. A week after that, Haya returned for a follow-up exam. This time, she was told to answer based on her original memory of the film. However, by this point, she didn't know what to believe. So she stuck with the same answer she'd put down last time. She insisted the clip showed a man's arrest, and her fMRI readings confirmed she sincerely believed this was right, even though the film showed police arresting a child. Chaya's revised recollection is known as a false memory, and researchers had implanted it without any advanced technology or hypnotic techniques. All it took was a little peer pressure to rewrite Chaya's reality. So if a group of scientists could influence Chaya enough to rewrite her memories, just think what the U.S. government could do to manipulate tens of thousands of UFO eyewitnesses. And there's several officials who admit they've certainly tried. (laughs) 
Welcome to Roswell The Legacy, a four-episode podcast special presented by Unexplained Mysteries and Conspiracy Theories. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. Normally, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Molly and I co-host Unexplained Mysteries. And I'm your host, Carter. On Mondays and Wednesdays, Molly and I co-host Conspiracy Theories. For the next two weeks, we're teaming up to bring you this special crossover on the Roswell UFO incident. It happened 75 years ago this week and kick-started decades of speculation about extraterrestrial life. Over the course of four episodes, we're diving deep into all the ways the infamous event changed American culture. For many people, the Roswell crash was the first indication that aliens existed, and the aftermath suggests the U.S. government is keeping that information under wraps. Today, we're asking, why haven't we been able to explain everything that happened in Roswell? We'll examine the misinformation techniques the U.S. government used to silence eyewitnesses. And we'll look at the ways authorities still manipulate the American people, especially when it comes to UFOs. Next time, we'll determine what was worth covering up. We'll investigate what happened to the wreckage after it was transported from Roswell. And we'll examine theories about what became of those alien bodies. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. This episode is brought to you by J. Crew. This spring, J. Crew is telling a linen love story. From perfectly rumpled beach cover-ups and effortlessly sexy suiting to button-up shirts from the world-famous Baird McNutt Mill in Ireland, the new J. Crew collection is made to be shared, lived in, and loved for decades and generations to come. Shop linen like you've never seen it. And more new arrivals for spring 2024 at jcrew.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. On July 8, 1947, Roswell Army Airfield officials invited a photographer to the base for an unusual photo op. Earlier that week, they'd gathered rubble from a sheep ranch just outside of Roswell. And during their forum with the press, they described the debris in some unusual terms. The news coverage didn't offer many direct quotes from officials. But the article summarized their statement, saying the scraps came from a flying saucer. It didn't imply it or suggest it as a possibility. It was definite. They'd all but confirmed aliens had crashed in New Mexico. But that story changed the very next day. 
On July 9, 1947, government officials released a new statement, saying the debris came from a crashed weather balloon, not a flying saucer. This explanation didn't make sense. Rancher William W. Mac Brazel was used to finding crashed weather balloons on his property. It happened all the time. But he didn't know what this debris was. In an interview with the press, he insisted the wreckage hadn't come from a balloon. Most interestingly, this weather balloon statement wasn't issued by the Air Force or any local officials. Instead, it came straight from the U.S. Department of War in Washington, D.C. Which makes you wonder, why did such an elite institution bother to comment if it was just an ordinary weather balloon? Questions like these have baffled UFO believers and skeptics alike for decades. Nobody can explain how the Army failed to identify a supposedly ordinary weather balloon at first. Or alternatively, why they released information about a seized flying saucer if they didn't want it to become common knowledge. Whatever their motives, military officials began doing damage control just as the Roswell incident became a major news story. On July 9th, the day the military released their weather balloon statement, the Associated Press made an odd claim. They failed to offer many details, only noting, quote, the Army and Navy moved today to suppress the stories of flying saucers whizzing through the atmosphere. It appeared as if government officials were trying to control the narrative. And while they had to scramble, their cover story worked. After that July 9th statement, Mac Brazel's wreckage faded from the public consciousness. Over the years, a few people within the UFO enthusiast community kept talking about Roswell. It was mentioned in books alongside other little-known alien sightings. But it wasn't the cultural touchstone it is today. Over the next decade or so, the average American likely attached no significance to the small New Mexico town. It seemed U.S. officials were just that good at making the rumors and excitement disappear. And this might have taught the United States government a lesson. They could deny, deceive, and destroy evidence and not get caught. The Roswell cover-up may have become a template for how to deal with future UFO crashes. According to former Air Force Special Investigations Officer Richard Doty, agents intentionally spread misinformation in conspiracy theorist communities. Officially, Doty's job was to gaslight people who'd spotted top-secret aircraft during military tests. To throw eyewitnesses off from the truth, Doty's team told them wild stories and hinted at larger cover-ups. They did everything they could to confuse and deceive their targets. Sometimes, they even claimed the technologies were from other planets. In one documentary interview, Doty suggested about 80% of the information ufologists had access to was false, planted by Doty and others like him. They fed the public lies that were so convincing, extraterrestrial enthusiasts couldn't tell real alien encounters from the fake ones, all to distract them from learning about real military technologies they'd seen. One of the most alarming examples involved an ordinary businessman named Paul Benowitz. 
In the late summer and early fall of 1979, Benowitz was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. His home had a great view of the Kirtland Air Force Base, which lay sprawled before the distant mountains. Many nights, he stood on his deck and saw something strange at the base. A pair of lights lifted straight off the ground and swooped toward the cliffs, descending until they disappeared behind the craggy peaks. Benowitz was intrigued. He didn't know what he was seeing, but he'd always been a fan of UFOs. He suspected those lights might have an otherworldly explanation. Benowitz was skilled with electronics, so he built an amateur radio and used it to eavesdrop on transmissions at Kirtland Air Force Base. He figured the military had to know what was taking off from their property, and if he heard them discussing the vessel, he'd solve the mystery. Sure enough, Benowitz picked up on something odd, and it wasn't the voices of Air Force personnel. Instead, it was a static noise that sounded unnatural. The more he listened to it, the more he became convinced he was monitoring something that hadn't originated on Earth. Benowitz worried that whatever was causing those sounds and lights posed a national security risk. It had access to the base, and the Air Force seemed completely unaware. He called to warn them, and after he spoke with a security officer, they put him in contact with Special Agent Doty. The misinformation officer invited Benowitz to Kirtland to describe what he'd seen. During Benowitz's tour of the facilities, Doty told Benowitz they knew what was tracking them. Benowitz had spotted alien ships flying to and from their underground base in the mountains. Of course, everything Doty was saying was a lie. Benowitz hadn't discovered an alien ship over the base. Instead, he was accidentally eavesdropping on secure military operations. Doty and his colleagues knew Benowitz was gathering information he wasn't supposed to have. And instead of ordering him to stop eavesdropping... They went to extreme lengths to discredit him. They encouraged him to keep listening in and decode the radio messages he'd intercepted. The government gave him computer programs that were meant to translate alien communications. Then they tampered with his personal equipment, ensuring he'd pick up strange signals that appeared to be extraterrestrial communications. Meanwhile, a federal agency surveilled him, supposedly to track which state secrets he'd uncovered. But the ongoing monitoring fed Benowitz's paranoia, further convincing him he was onto something world-changing. Over time, Benowitz lost his grip on reality. He became increasingly uneasy and unsettled. Strange injection marks appeared on his body, causing him to believe aliens had abducted and harmed him, while Doty feared they were self-inflicted. Benowitz even began hallucinating extraterrestrial encounters. In 1988, Benowitz barricaded himself inside his house and refused to come out. His family had him committed to a psychiatric facility. At any point, Kirtland's Air Force Base personnel could have simply ordered Benowitz to stop investigating. Even if they were worried he wouldn't listen, they had other ways of keeping his findings under wraps. They'd already notified the local press and forbid them from publishing any information he gave them as a matter of national security. But instead, 
Dodie's plan was extensive, expensive, and overly elaborate. They didn't have to lie to Benowitz about UFOs or gaslight him until they impacted his mental health, unless they were hiding something more incendiary than stealth airplanes. There's a famous quote attributed to former CIA director Alan Dulles. It goes, if you want to keep a secret, then pretend to share it. What he likely meant was, it's challenging for the government to hide the truth without inadvertently drawing more attention to it. If conspiracy theorists ever found evidence of a cover-up, they'd only look closer. But if officials leaked a little of the true story and mixed it in with a bunch of lies, nobody would be able to tell which details were real. Imagine you see a UFO. Nothing too outrageous, just some lights passing overhead in the sky, traveling faster than any plane should. You're thrilled, so you tell everyone what you've seen. Then one day, a government agent shows up at your door. They tell you they believe your sighting, and they want to discuss it with you more. They share a bunch of wild stories, including claims about abductions, interplanetary wars between alien races, or extraterrestrial spies taking over the government. They may even hide false evidence for you to find. The next time you tell someone about your sighting, you mention the visit from government agents, and you add the details the agent shared with you. Now. Your simple encounter sounds like an outrageous conspiracy theory. The evidence you produce, which was planted by the agent, is easily debunked, and you end up looking like a liar or unstable. People dismiss the true details of your sighting because everything you say seems less credible. Remember that statement Doty made? That 80% of the UFO information the public hears is false? Well, that implies the remaining 20% must be real. According to some estimates, there have been tens of thousands of reported UFO incidents in United States history. They haven't all been debunked, not by a long shot, but many eyewitnesses are still afraid to come forward about what they've seen. Which means Doty's efforts are paying off. And his tactics aren't the only techniques the U.S. government has at its disposal. Coming up, the military's psychological manipulation tactics. Hi, listeners. It's Carter with some truly exciting news. To commemorate the launch of Colts, ParCast's first book, Crime Junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler are coming together on July 13th for an in-person and virtual experience you do not want to miss. The evening will take place in Los Angeles and feature a live Q&A about the book, an exclusive meet and greet, and a discussion on all things true crime. All ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley that provides funding to law enforcement agencies and families to help solve cold cases. It's an amazing organization near and dear to both Ashley and Max, and another great reason to enjoy this wonderful night. And it's just days away, so visit parcast.com slash cults to register today. You can also catch the event virtually on Spotify Live if you are unable to join us in person. 
All attendees will get a signed copy of the book and a night they'll never forget. July 13th is fast approaching, so be sure to join Ashley Flowers and Max Cutler for a very special evening celebrating the release of ParCast's new book, Cults, all for an incredible cause. Register today at ParCast.com slash cults. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now, back to the story. Since at least 1947, the U.S. government seems to have taken an interest in investigating alien encounters and covering them up. A 2019 Gallup poll suggested more than two-thirds of Americans believe the government was withholding information about unidentified flying objects. Assuming this is true, we're left with one question. Why hide the truth? What would happen if the general public knew aliens existed? Perhaps our leaders are hiding extraterrestrials because they want to avoid mass panic. If the average human being knew the universe was crawling with potential invaders, they'd be overcome with terror and hopelessness. There could be rioting in the streets. In 1953, the CIA's Office of Scientific Intelligence released a report by the so-called Robertson Panel. In it, they warned America's enemies could use UFO reports, real ones or hoaxes, to trigger, quote, mass hysteria. They'd already seen the situation play out once. On October 30th, 1938, Orson Welles broadcast his story, War of the Worlds, When listeners heard the fictional accounts of Martian invaders, many panicked and called their local police. A real alien incident could trigger an even deadlier reaction. In other words, intelligence analysts suspected the American people weren't ready for the truth about aliens. And if the public confirmed they were real, society as we know it would come apart at the seams. But let's unpack that allegation further. Eyewitnesses have reported consistent sightings for nearly a century now. In 2019 alone, 5,971 UFOs were spotted above the United States. And yet, panicked mobs never swarmed the streets. Granted, there's a difference between an unverified sighting and official confirmation of alien life. But it's still hard to imagine such a profound negative reaction. Bruce Handy of Time magazine described a more likely outcome, saying, quote, If the government ever really said jigs up and produced a preserved alien for our delectation, we would be stunned for a day or two, perturbed for a week longer, and then we would move on. Writing for Slate, journalist Sarah Scholes discussed an alternate but surprisingly compelling possibility. Perhaps officials don't want us to know about extraterrestrials because they're trying to prevent peace on Earth. 
proof of alien life could be a philosophical game changer. If human beings knew we weren't alone in the universe, we'd have to reassess our values. Many people may decide their petty squabbles just don't matter when compared to the scope of the cosmos. Furthermore, interplanetary travelers would have advanced technology far beyond what we've developed on Earth. A culture with functional spaceships might also have solutions to scarcity or sustainable fuel sources. Perhaps extraterrestrials could help us solve world hunger or poverty. And if interplanetary travelers did help with these problems, humanity might end all wars in an instant. Which would be terrible news for defense contractors, monopolistic CEOs, and officials who thrive on inequality in war. However, there is one other very likely explanation we haven't discussed yet. National security concerns. We're not trying to imply humanity is engaged in some secret interstellar war with invaders from another planet. But perhaps our most efficient military technologies weren't developed here on Earth. Of course, defense contractors wouldn't want other nations to know how we developed our weapons and defense machinery. This would make it too easy for them to harvest material from downed UFOs elsewhere in the world. So they keep the whole program under wraps. We may never know why the authorities are so invested in hiding evidence of extraterrestrial life, but we don't need to understand their reasoning to understand their tactics, which we now know a little bit about, thanks to a government leak. In the summer of 2013, CIA contractor-turned-whistleblower Edward Snowden stepped onto the scene. He believed the U.S. government was violating ethical norms when surveilling its citizens. His solution? Distribute sensitive information about American and British surveillance programs to the public. His release featured classified government documents, one of which was a strange set of PowerPoint-style slides. They appeared to come from the U.K. Security Agency, the government communications headquarters or GCHQ. The deck itself was named The Art of Deception. It's not entirely clear what these slides were. They could have been a training booklet or a presentation. They're 50 pages long, filled with complex graphs, trippy pictures, and minimal text to explain what the images meant. But one detail is clear. The deck illustrates some techniques UK officials can use to deceive the public. The Art of Deception showed British misinformation officers how to hide the truth, create distractions, and confuse their targets. They could manipulate the news through traditional press outlets or social media, or they could target individuals via phone, email, and text. The most intriguing slides were buried about halfway through the deck. None of them had any descriptive text, but they featured a full-page photo of a flying saucer. Four panels of a blurry mechanical craft suspended in the sky and a circular dome-shaped object zipping over the horizon. Perhaps whoever built the deck was educating other agents on how to keep aliens hidden. There's one other set of slides that bears mentioning. It features the text, People make decisions as part of groups. 
People make decisions for emotional reasons, not rational ones. This fits with what we already know about manipulation and social pressure. Earlier, we talked about the 2011 study on false memories. If participants believed they were the only person giving a particular answer on a test, they were more likely to change their response to be consistent with the group. And fMRI scans revealed these subjects weren't just fibbing to fit in. They'd actually formed a false memory, convincing themselves the crowd's answer was what they always believed. This suggests witnesses to real UFOs can be persuaded to disbelieve their own senses. Apply enough pressure, and they may decide they didn't really see anything unusual after all. These tactics were likely at play during the Roswell incident. Nearly every step of that story mirrors the misinformation techniques we cover today, starting with that photo shoot with the Roswell Daily Record. Sure, the Air Force could have refused to comment on the debris they'd collected, but then wild rumors would have flown as locals speculated about the nature of the wreckage. By publicly announcing they'd found a flying saucer, the Air Force accomplished the same goal Richard Doty and the GCHQ did. They gained the trust of the UFO community. They gave the appearance of transparency, establishing themselves as credible allies. Now the door was open for manipulation. When they backtracked and announced the debris was actually from a weather balloon, people were more disposed to believe them. Then there's the material photographed during the interview. Last time, we discussed the actions of Major Jesse Marcel and General Roger Ramey in relation to the mysterious debris. From Marcel's vantage point, it seemed the general switched out the real rubble for pieces of a weather balloon before taking the photos, possibly a tactic to manipulate the media. There was also the social pressure on eyewitnesses. Mac Brazel may have been detained, then subsequently bribed to keep his mouth shut. It's also possible that Sheriff Wilcox was ordered to stay silent or pay with his life. In both cases, authorities seem to have ensured the eyewitnesses towed the party line. And once the people closest to the Roswell crash were silenced, any remaining witnesses may have been reluctant to speak up. Perhaps, like the participants in that Surasky Medical Center study, the pressure made them rewrite their own memories. Who knows how many people saw truly shocking details of the crash, only to be brainwashed into forgetting them. The alleged Roswell cover-up was thorough. But manipulation tactics aren't always perfect. The truth can get out, especially if the leak comes from the inside. Coming up, the Roswell case gets a second wind. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. 
True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Now, back to the story. For decades, the U.S. government has appeared extremely efficient at silencing UFO eyewitnesses. They were so skilled, they managed to keep the Roswell incident quiet for almost three decades, until one of their own spoke up. Major Jesse Marcel was the intelligence officer who collected the debris from Foster Ranch in 1947. Like any loyal serviceman, Marcel followed his orders and kept his mouth shut for 31 years. He watched as the cover story about a crashed weather balloon became accepted truth for many U.S. citizens. He held his tongue as the world at large forgot about the downed flying saucer and the bodies within it. He likely agonized as his fellow Americans fell for a lie. But that all changed in 1978. That year, a ufologist named Stanton Friedman learned about Marcel. Friedman set up a phone call with Marcel. On the line, Marcel spilled his guts. He talked about his retrieval mission and the strange nature of the material he found on Foster Ranch. But 31 years had passed since the UFO crash, and Marcel didn't remember all the details. Specifically, he couldn't recall the date of the incident or even the year. The closest, he could speculate, was sometime in the late 1940s. The lack of specificity left Friedman disappointed. With the very few details he was given, he had no way of connecting Marcel's story to Roswell. Remember, by now, the New Mexico crash had fallen out of the public spotlight, and Marcel was just another random witness with an unverifiable account. But something about the testimony became lodged in Friedman's brain. It kept nagging at him until he found more witnesses. Eventually, with the help of ufologist William Moore, he narrowed down the date and location of the crash. They even found the Roswell Daily Record article calling the rubble a flying saucer. The coverage mentioned Mac Brazel, Sheriff Wilcox, and others. From there, Friedman's investigation was off to the races. They eventually shared their research with author Charles Berlitz. Moore and Berlitz compiled all their findings into their 1980 book, The Roswell Incident. It included several accounts that had never been released to the public before, including stories about bodies being found among the wreckage and tales of alien autopsies. In spite of the incendiary claims, the Roswell incident didn't make much of a cultural impact at first. However, it did make the crash somewhat famous within the ufologist community and caught the attention of some government officials, including Richard Doty and his team of misinformation officers. Shortly after the Roswell incident hit the bookstores, Moore received an invitation from a mysterious government official who refused to identify himself. For simplicity, we'll call him Agent Jones. Jones told Moore he was intrigued by the information he'd uncovered about Roswell, and the government wanted to share more with him. 
In exchange, Moore had to do a favor for the authorities. Spread information that they provided throughout the UFO believer community. Unfortunately, much of this information wasn't based in fact, and the government knew it. To be clear, Jones contacted Moore after his Roswell book was published. It doesn't seem the misinformation officers had anything to do with his original research. Still, Moore knew he was making a deal with the devil, but it seemed worth it. He'd have to lie to his colleagues, but once he learned the truth, he could undo all the harm. He could expose Jones's operation and produce evidence of alien life in one fell swoop. So Moore joined the misinformation team. He even collaborated with Richard Doty and helped gaslight Paul Benowitz. When Benowitz was committed, Moore was one of the first to hear about it. The news forced him to reflect on his choices. He realized he'd made a mistake. He should never have allied with Jones and Doty. Moore had to take extreme steps to fix his errors. Resigning from Doty's team wasn't enough. He had to take the operation down. On July 1st, 1989, Moore was booked to speak at a UFO convention. But few knew what he planned to say. He took the podium to rousing applause. He knew everyone trusted him, and he didn't deserve their respect. But he smiled anyway. Then, he confessed everything. He said he'd lied to Paul Benowitz, that he'd spread misinformation about aliens for years. He likely left the audience wondering who they could trust. If an established ufologist like Moore was a government plant, how could they believe any news they heard about aliens? The crowd booed him consistently throughout his two-hour speech. The heckling was so bad, conference organizers had to intervene. When Moore finally strode away from the stage, he knew he'd destroyed his reputation. But he still thought he'd made the right move. Even after Moore's revelation, Americans still didn't know much about the Roswell event outside of UFO circles. It wasn't until 1989 when the investigative series Unsolved Mysteries aired an episode on Roswell that it became dinner table conversation. And that episode inspired several more eyewitnesses to come forward. For the first time in over 40 years, a flood of evidence reached the public. Investigators tried to piece together each new statement, building a fuller account of what happened. But there were still several holes in the narrative that couldn't be filled. Many wondered if the U.S. government had the answer. Thanks to immense public pressure on the subject, Congress issued new orders to the Air Force in February 1994. They had to audit all their data about the Roswell incident and produce a report. By this point, almost everyone who would have been involved with the Roswell cover-up had long since retired or died. So they had to work off archival records and public news stories. Still, within a few months, they believed they had enough information to disclose what they'd learned. The Air Force published their findings in July 1995. The nearly 1,000-page report included the admission alien enthusiasts had been waiting for. The U.S. government had covered up the truth about Roswell. 
But the 1994 study didn't confirm the wreckage came from an extraterrestrial ship. Instead, it said the debris was tied to a recently declassified military program called Project Mogul. In the mid-1940s, U.S. military officials were desperate for every scrap of information they could find about Soviet nuclear programs. They realized every time an atomic bomb was detonated, it sent low-frequency sound waves through the ionosphere, an electrically charged region of the Earth's upper atmosphere. So, Air Force officials sent measuring instruments into the ionosphere in the form of balloons. Those machines listened for pressure waves, and if they picked up a rumble that couldn't be linked to an American nuclear detonation, they'd know the Soviets were testing their own weapons. Mogul balloons were released in Alamogordo, an army airfield around 100 miles from Roswell, New Mexico. But on June 4, 1947, one of their vessels was lost and never recovered. The Air Force investigators concluded this was likely the debris Mac Brazel found. But there are a lot of problems with this explanation. First and foremost, the timeline doesn't make sense. Jim Ragsdale's reported sighting of an aircraft going down near Roswell occurred on July 3, 1947, nearly a month after the Project Mogul balloon went missing. Mac Brazel also found the wreckage on his ranch in early July, and it's safe to assume it hadn't been there for long. According to some grazing techniques, sheep need to be moved to a new pasture every one or two weeks, so it's unlikely a massive pile of rubble went unnoticed for a full month by Brazel. In other words, an argument can be made that the scrap didn't crash down on the timeline the Air Force proposed, and it couldn't have been the missing mogul balloon. This is even clearer when you consider the seemingly indestructible materials at Foster Ranch. It's safe to say the mogul engineers didn't have access to strange metal that could unfold itself. In a subsequent study, researchers concluded that the material was likely the metal alloy we know today as nitinol, but it wasn't discovered until 1959, over a decade after the Roswell incident. Most importantly, too many witnesses mentioned alien bodies for us to dismiss their accounts. And Project Mogul certainly didn't send small, four-foot-tall observers up in their spy balloons. Needless to say, many people were not satisfied with this explanation. After several public demands for better information, the Air Force opened another investigation into the Roswell crash. And once again, their findings reeked of a cover-up. They released a second report in 1997, just in time for the 50th anniversary of the Roswell incident. The authors didn't just revisit the mogul theory, they accepted it as truth. But they added a new explanation for the alien bodies. According to this document, the extraterrestrial corpses were test dummies from other projects. From 1953 to 1959, military personnel reviewed freefall conditions by pushing dummies out of high-altitude balloons over New Mexico, then tracking their falls. Reportedly, some of them were never recovered, 
and others were damaged on impact, losing legs and other limbs so they'd appear to only be four feet tall. The Air Force investigators concluded these must have been the so-called alien bodies discovered at Roswell. In cases where witness testimony didn't fit the description of a dummy, they tried to argue the so-called alien corpses were injured or dead pilots of crashed airplanes. The Air Force listed specific accidents that occurred in August 1947 and January 1948. It's likely you've already noticed the biggest problem with this explanation. The dummy test drops didn't begin until 1953, six years after the Roswell incident. Likewise, the two airplane crashes they cited were also after July 1947. This was a huge oversight. It seemed the Air Force investigators weren't nearly as coordinated as, say, Doty and his team. They tried to explain this away by claiming all the eyewitnesses who saw bodies were simply confused. They must have seen the dummies at some point after July 8, 1947. They just misremembered the date. We'll admit, memories are imperfect. It's easy to confuse dates and other minutiae. Just ask yourself, what did you have for dinner three weeks ago? Or what's the exact day and time you last called your sibling? Odds are, you don't recall. But that's in part because the meals you ate and the casual conversations you have aren't important. It's normal to forget inconsequential details about your day-to-day life. But large, life-changing events have a way of engraving themselves on our memories. And that's especially true when they're negative or traumatic. Almost every Roswell eyewitness consistently reported feelings of terror when they saw the corpses. Some people, like Jim Ragsdale, were overcome with an intense need to flee. These are not the typical circumstances where someone would misremember the incident. So once again, we're inclined to dismiss the Air Force's findings. Many ufologists believe the U.S. government is still hiding evidence of the Roswell crash, but we don't know why it's so important to keep it secret. One thing is certain. Officials have been interested in extraterrestrials for decades. They formed several secretive groups to investigate UFO sightings. And those programs have become the stuff of legend. Thanks for tuning in. In the next episode, we'll look at the official government programs designed to investigate UFOs in the headquarters where they allegedly stored the evidence. You can find more episodes of Unexplained Mysteries, Conspiracy Theories, and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. Conspiracy Theories and Unexplained Mysteries are Spotify originals from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This special episode of Conspiracy Theories and Unexplained Mysteries was written by Angela Jorgensen, edited by Lori Gottlieb and Kate Gallagher, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Bradley Klein, and produced by Bruce Kotovich. 
Conspiracy Theories and Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg, Richard Rossner, and Carter Roy. Hi, it's Carter, here to remind you that a very special evening with crime junkies Ashley Flowers and ParCast founder Max Cutler is just days away. It's an event celebrating the release of ParCast's first book, Colts, and you can be a part of it virtually on Spotify Live or in person. The evening will take place in Los Angeles on July 13th and feature discussions about the book, a live Q&A, and more. Plus, all ticket sales up to $125,000 will be matched by Max Cutler and donated to Season of Justice, a nonprofit founded by Ashley Flowers that provides financial resources to help solve cold cases and support families impacted by unsolved violent crimes. This has all the makings of being the true crime event of the year, so don't miss out. Register for your spot today at parcast.com slash cults. All attendees will receive a special signed copy of Parcast's new book, Cults. That's parcast.com slash cults to sign up today. 